Music for this podcast is provided by Ben Howington, the Mormon guitarist. Visit his website at mormonguitar.com and subscribe to his YouTube channel, Mormon Guitar. Making a Missionary, Episode 2 Having the ability to have the Holy Ghost with you all the time. Welcome to Making a Missionary, where I interview future and return missionaries and church educators to help prepare motivate and inspire you in your efforts to become a successful servant of the Lord. To teach and preach and work as missionaries do. Anyang haseo everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to a good friend of mine. His name is Matthew Johnson. I've known him ever since he was a little kid. His brother, Michael, is one of my best friends. Matthew lives in Orem, Utah. He currently attends Brigham Young University, studying Arabic. He is a Dell reseller, a piano technician, an outdoor enthusiast, and a musician. I'm sure he probably enjoys long walks on the beach too, but he didn't mention that. He served in the Indonesia-Jakarta mission from August 2012 to 2014, so he's been back for almost two years. Anyway, I first want to apologize for something. After doing the interview, when I was in the editing process, I realized that I wasn't recording with my microphone that I'm currently using. I was recording with my computer microphone. And the same is true for my next episode as well. So you'll notice a big difference between the audio quality, but I did my best to cut out background noise as much as possible, and I I feel like the interview otherwise went really well. So anyway, I'm excited, and without further ado, here's my interview with Matthew. When do you feel you first became converted to the gospel? That's a good question. Um, For most of my life, uh, during my childhood and through my teenage years, I don't feel like I was truly converted to the gospel. I feel like I kind of just followed the crowd. I had really good friends in the church. I participated in all the activities. I was active. I don't think I had too solid of my own testimony. Um, I I knew I wanted to go on a mission just because that's what everyone did. and That's what was expected of me. And uh, about four months before I departed on my mission, um, We'll back up a second. I, I, I like to, to buy things and sell them for more than I bought them for. Uh, and so before my mission, I, I was buying guitars and kind of setting them up and then selling them for, for more than I bought them for. And uh, <clears throat> I was just selling them on KSL and on eBay. And uh, this guy on KSL, he calls me. He's like, hey, I want to come look at your guitar that you're selling. And I was like, okay. And so he came over and he's playing the guitar and he looks up at me. He's like, so, so why are you trying to sell this guitar? I'm like, oh, I need some money for my, my mission. I'm leaving in a few months. He's like, Oh, your mission. Well, I'm sorry to hear that young man. Um, Oh man, <laughs> I, I would advise you to not do that. And, and he just goes on. He just starts throwing, slamming me with a bunch of anti-Mormon stuff that I'd frankly, I, most of that I'd never heard before. And I was kind of like discouraged. I had no idea how to respond to oh, him. Fin- finally, I was just like, uh, sir, we're, we're here to talk about music, not guitars. So, uh, I, I think this is right for me to do, um, what I'm doing right now in my life. Uh, it's the best thing for me right now. 
Uh, but af after that guy left, I was really discouraged and I didn't really know what to do because I, I felt a little kind of destroyed on the inside. Like that really shook my, what I thought I had my testimony. So I realized that I never really tried to search for my own testimony on my own. And so I dove into the scriptures and I read Moroni's promise in Moroni chapter 10, uh, verses three through five. And I, I prayed to know if the church was true about the Book of Mormon. I should continue on going on a mission. And after that prayer, I received nothing. I didn't feel a thing. And I was even more discouraged, as you can imagine. And uh, I was still going on my mission. Um, and a few weeks later, I, I read a verse. So, someone shared it. I can't remember really why or how I came upon this verse, but I came across um, in Ether chapter 12, verse 6. And Moroni basically explained there that you don't receive a witness until after the trial of your faith. So that, okay, well, maybe I'll just hold on a little bit longer on, on deciding whether I want to not go on my mission or not. And I just kept pressing forward with, with my mission decision. And uh, it wasn't until the night before I left on mission that I received the answer to my, my prayer mm. that I prayed about three or four months prior. And uh, it was right after... Well, while my stake president was setting me apart as a full-time missionary, I received a very powerful spiritual confirmation uh, that what I was doing was right and that the church was true, and I had no doubt in my heart and mind at all. So that, that's when I became converted to the gospel, I think. That's when I received my own testimony. My next question is which, uh, what your favorite scripture is. Um, my, my favorite scripture uh, at that time and for, for a couple of months into my mission was... Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which has to do with the, the verse in Ether uh, about faith. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thine ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So that's that's been a favorite of mine for a long, long time since seminary, actually. It was, it was a, a scripture mastery, so I, I memorized that. This had a great impact on my life. What, uh, if you want to share your favorite spiritual experience from your mission? It's a mission. There, there are spiritual experiences every day, but one particularly comes to mind right now for some reason. Um, it was almost a year into my mission. Um, we found an investigator um, who happened to be Christian, served in Indonesia, and it's uh, predominantly Islam there in Indonesia, but we, we found a Christian investigator. His name was Piaga, and... Um, he kind of found us, actually. It was, it was pretty miraculous how he found us, but that, that's a story for another time. But uh, we were teaching him, and he had a baptismal date for about three weeks um, into the future. And he came in to the... We were teaching about the church, and he came in there, and he sat down. And um, he said to me and my companion, he said, Hey, guys, I actually have something I want to show you. Um, and he has a, a backpack with him, and he begins to open it up. And... There's kind of an audible voice in my head as the spirit telling me he's going to show you anti-Mormon material that he had seen. I was like, oh, goodness. So I knew it. I already knew what he was going to show me. He pulls out a laptop. And he said, I, I have this video that, I, that, I, that a friend sent me. And uh, he starts playing the video. And as, as these two guys, they, they go out there at Temple Square. They, hey, this is where the Mormons live. And uh, they, they begin to talk about anti-Mormon stuff. And... Uh, about two minutes into the video, it was about an hour long, and, and I, I pressed the pause button, and I asked Piaga, I said, hey, did you watch this whole thing? 
And he said, yeah, I did. And it really, it bothered me and I wanted to ask you about it. And uh, I closed his laptop. I said, Piaga, um, kind of, again, I had no idea what I was going to say, but I had faith that if I'd opened my mouth, something would come out. I opened my mouth and I said, Piaga, um, when Joseph Smith was in the Sacred Grove, we haven't told you about this part of, of the first vision yet, right bef- as, as he began to pray, before he saw the two heavenly messengers, God the Father and, the Son, Jesus, and his Son, Jesus Christ, um, the devil, Satan, actually appeared to him and tried to stop him from praying. The devil has been trying to thwart this work and this church from the very beginning, from the very second it started to be restored. And he is still trying to do the exact same thing. And I know, Piaga, that you have had um, a, a spiritual witness about this church, and I don't think that you can deny that. And Joseph Smith said the same thing. He, he saw it, he knew what he saw was true, and he couldn't deny it even though that Satan tried to stop him. And, and that's kind of what's happening to you. And this might continue to happen, but just hold fast to, to what you know is true. I know you know this is true. He said, yeah, I do know this is true. And I, and I began to, to testify about the prophet Joseph Smith and the current president of the church and about the priesthood in general and the restoration of it. And it just, it felt like fire was coming out of my mouth. It was really <laughs> remarkable. And the, the spirit was very strong. And he went on and he got baptized that three weeks later. Wow. So that's 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 one of the ones that came to mind. Very ingrained in my memory yeah, in my memory. A testimony when when you don't know what to do or what to say at any point on your mission or in life, bearing your testimony seems as though it's it it really never like it never steers you wrong. No because one can question it's, that. it's the easiest way to in, to invite the spirit. Especially when your investigator is confused or, you know, trying to trying to make sense of all of this stuff that's being thrown at them, you know, whether it's true or not. You know, you felt prompted to just close the laptop and, and, and bear your testimony. And clearly that had a positive effect on, yeah, on, on your investigator. For sure. What's the weirdest culturally different thing you ate or did on your mission? Um, I could probably sum this up into one event. Um, <laughs> when when people get circumcised in Indonesia, they, they throw a party for whoever's got circumcised. They usually they get circumcised at age six, seven, or eight, oh, or really? nine even. So they don't do it right when they're a baby, which is unfortunate. So they always remember what it felt like uh, when they get yeah. circumcised. <laughs> so, they, so they throw a party for, for whoever got circumcised. and after or before after the circumcision so so the kid he comes out and he's just like he's all on drugs and he doesn't know what's going on and he can't even talk to anyone so i don't really know i still don't understand the purpose of it but so a circumcision party is what we called it and uh at this one particular circumcision party uh the guy there um he offered us a soup uh, looked like a soup i was like oh cool what is this and the guy's like oh it's called gule ayam or sorry gule kambing Gule is kind of just like a broth, and kambing means goat, so a goat soup. And it's like, oh, what's what's in it? And uh, he goes to tell me, and basically it's goat innard soup. They were oh, goat, nice. Goat okay. lungs. They missed that part in the name. Yeah. <laughs> goat, <laughs> goat lungs, goat heart, goat kidney, goat intestines, um, and goat liver. 
least. Yeah, okay. So all five of those things. The lungs and the intestines were the worst, but I did eat it. It did not taste good. <laughs> so that, that was the weirdest thing. And, and they do the same thing with chicken too sometimes. And the, um, that soup, I only had it twice. It was in the same city, so I never found it anywhere else. But lots of weird foods there. I ate snake, python, and cobra. I had monkey. I had dog. All sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, I had what in Korea, one of the most popular things that every missionary always has to try, it's boshintang, which is dog soup. <laughs> and the stuff that I had wasn't prepared. They didn't quite skin <laughs> the dog or, yes. you know, take all the hair off the dog and the meat and everything. And so, anyway, it tastes like really tender beef, but the hair was kind of the, yeah, the part that I, I wasn't a huge fan of. I can imagine. <laughs> So for this next question, I'd like you to explain in detail the most discouraging part of your mission and how did you handle it? I think I'll start with how I handled it. Uh, it goes back to my, the scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Basically, show your, show your faith and push forward. Probably the first six months of my mission were so, so hard. Um, a new language, Indonesian is nothing like English. Uh, i having such a hard time with it. Um, my first companion didn't like to work. He didn't like to train me as he was supposed to. And I was actually mo moved, uh, about af after a month and a half to the new city. And for about a month, another month and a half, it was pretty good there. I had a really good companion. We had, saw a lot of success together. Then I got another companion who just you know, hated to work. I didn't know the language. He didn't want to teach me the language. Th these are all natives, my companions. And, uh, I remember just praying one night really hard. I kind of, it's, it doesn't sound as bad as it, as it felt to me, but it was so hard for me. I remember praying one night really hard and I kind of like asked the Lord, like, have you abandoned me? I just feel so alone out here. I relate to anyone. And, uh, remember, I remember feeling a lot of peace after that and just the spirit telling me to just, just take it one day at a time, show your faith and, remember your purpose here yeah um it was, it was really it was it was tough it doesn't sound that tough but it but it was i'm sure you understand as yeah you, you're in kind of a similar situation what about your mission do you miss the most um uh, a lot of people say like you know the food uh the activities the people and i i obviously miss those things a lot but i think the thing i missed the most was my purpose in being there and spreading the gospel and, and helping and serving people in Indonesia for those two years. That's, that's why I missed the most. The job that you were there sure. to do. Yeah. So, I mean, Indonesia is a cool place and yeah, I'd go there on vacation, but it, it's, it's what I was doing there. It was the most special to me. Yeah. It's hard to go from being <clears throat> on such a spiritual high, bearing your testimony all the time to getting back into you know, doing what you need to do in the world and starting the next chapter of your life. Uh -huh. But if you're truly, you know, involved in the work, I think it can be harder to return back to then, then missionaries who come back and, you know, they were never fully in it in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Are there any cultural things from your mission that you will keep in your life? Uh, yeah. One thing uh, that everyone does there is when they shake someone's hand, They'll always, for example, shake my hand. They'll always bring their hand into their into their chest, to their heart. After you shake. After you shake, 
uh, just bring, bring your hand into your heart. Just like, you know, it's just a very warm greeting. You know, you're, you're bringing their friendship into your heart with you. So I always do that subconsciously and some people think really? it's super weird. <laughs> yeah. Another thing is uh, when you're in a room with, uh, with a large group of people and you go in between a couple of people or you pass in front of people, people in Indonesia, they always like crouch over and put their hand to the floor. Like this. And I always do that. And it, it looks really weird. Just me crouching down <laughs> in, in between a bunch of people and putting my hand straight down to the ground as I'm moving in between them, they was just looking just in a crowded, like you're basically kind of directing the, wherever yeah. you're going. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's a form of politeness there. And when I, the first time I saw it, saw it, I thought it was super weird, but now I do it subconsciously again. And <laughs> I don't see an end to it. Anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> so That's funny. do you still keep in touch with any people you met on your mission? Absolutely. Every single day. I, I make it a goal to talk to at least one person. Oh, that's cool. On a uh, Facebook or Skype, or uh, it's called WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll write a letter to them. Yeah, uh, investigators, converts, companions, members, anyone and everyone. Cool. So every day. So I yeah, I've made it a plan on doing that for a long time. Yeah, I hope to keep it up. So yeah, definitely. That 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 has greatly blessed my life. Is keeping in touch with them. It's always good to remember what it was like. Absolutely. Who is a spiritual giant you've always looked up to, and what trait made this person such a spiritual giant? Brother Tandiman, he was basically he, he was the country patriarch. Uh, he was the patriarch for all of Indonesia, and uh, he, he lived in in West Java. And I, I served in his city for about three months. And him and his family are just so awesome. And he's in charge of all the CES stuff too for the church. Oh, in, wow. in all of Asia. He's also he's a pretty busy guy. He used to be he's he's been the mission president in Indonesia and he's just he's been stake president or sorry a district president and all sorts of cool things. And he is probably the most humble man I, I know to this day. So that's he's a spiritual giant to me in that way. Another one would be my my last mission president, President Donald. And he was just a man of conviction and faith. And was so strong. And hmm. I, that's the first thing I noticed when I met him. And he was very determined to reach the goals and to do what it would take to reach them. What was your biggest struggle on your mission? Um, Kind of like what I said before, the language at the beginning for about six months was just, oh, that was was tough and a very humbling experience for sure. And lazy companions. Yeah. That was tough (laughs) because uh, if you have a lazy companion, it's hard for you to stay motivated and diligent. I never really had a problem with homesickness at all. I loved being there. Super fun. Yeah. And awesome what I was doing. What was your biggest weakness as a missionary? <clears throat> Probably that same thing. Uh, the lack of motivation and, and diligence, especially when I had a, a companion who had just had zero. And it was really hard to carry it by myself. So sometimes I would just like, you know, shut down and why am I here? Like, this is just pointless, you know? So that, that was definitely a big weakness for me sometimes. Like, it was, it was really easy to, to lose the motivation, but it was also easy to forget the motivation as well. Once I just sat there and thought for a while. Yeah, that's what I was doing. But that, that was definitely a weakness for me. I thought, and like, realizing and being aware of what you're doing is the biggest part of overcoming that weakness. Yeah, they often say you got to lose yourself in the work. 
And when you do, you're able to think, these people need this gospel. I need to forget about whatever it is that's keeping me from doing it mm -hmm. and and just do it. Absolutely. You know, President Hinckley, when he was on his mission, he wanted to go home. Yeah. He did send a letter to his dad and said, I can't do this. This isn't for me. And his dad wrote a letter back and just said, forget yourself and go to work. Forget yourself and go to work. It's true. I just remember like, like sitting there and, and thinking, being so motivated. Like, I just want to st stand on the roof of my house and just yell mm -hmm. about the gospel. <laughs> I'd get arrested if I did that. <laughs> so, it, interesting thing there. It's it's illegal to go up to someone and just start talking about the gospel to them. They have to actually ask you. Oh, really? That. Yeah. So it, it wasn't that hard because there aren't that many 200-pound, six-foot white kids over there. <laughs> They're like, why are, what are you doing here? Oh, let me tell you. So it's not that hard, but yeah. you can't just like walk up to them and, and say, hey, I'm a missionary from the Church of... And they don't like that and mm -hmm. go to jail for it. And so, you can't go tracking door-to-door -door also. Not legal. Really? Yeah. So it was probably... There's probably a lot of... Uh, strategy involved in mission president assigning missionaries to because i'm sure you probably had some a lot of native indonesian missionaries Mo most of my companions were natives and that was a great blessing for me because they knew the culture they knew the rules uh, the, the street rules i guess um i actually had them about halfway through my mission a lot of indonesians went home mm -hmm. we're done with their missions and, and we got a lot uh the government gave the church permission to bring in a lot more foreign missionaries. So there was actually a lot more uh, European and American and Australian cool. missionaries there. So I actually had the opportunity to have three American, yeah, they're all American, American companions towards like the last half of my mission. And by then I already pretty much knew what I needed to cool. know. But yeah, definitely a lot of strategy. So it was actually really nice. You, you become friends with the person first before you talk about the gospel. And so yeah. it's a lot more easy for them to receive it. So now we're going to start the motivation round, and motivation round is made up of a few questions that don't require very long answers. So we kind of just want to get a quick glimpse into what it takes or what it, you think it takes to become a successful missionary. So the first question is, was there a specific moment that made you want to serve a mission? I can't remember a specific moment that I knew I wanted to serve as a missionary. I just remember always as a kid in primary and into priesthood I always wanted to what is the best spiritual advice you have to give armor up give thanks what is the single most important thing you did or wish that you did to effectively prepare to serve your mission um I attended a stake mission prep class for three years before my mission that was immensely helpful to me um there's it was a stake program and uh they had return missionaries as the teachers, recently return missionaries as the teachers oh, cool. or, or dis district leaders. Yeah. I actually taught there for a year after I got back from my mission. So wow. that was a big part of my life and that was very helpful. Um, I wish I studied the scriptures more and I wish I learned more of the culture and country to where I was going to yeah. be serving. In your opinion, what is the most important trait that contributes to a successful missionary? Having the ability to have the Holy Ghost with you all the time, one thing we have to remember is that we have the right, as members of the church, to have a member of the Godhead accompany us throughout mm -hmm. every single day. And so that definitely staying pure and worthy to be worthy of that companionship, that's definitely the most important thing to do to prepare.
her and to have on your mission. And the last question of motivation round is, we'd like for you to share a resource that was most effective in your preparation for your mission. Um, one resource was a friend of mine, Devin Vogelsberg. Um, he actually returned home from his mission about three months before I went on my mission. And I actually, I was working as a stonemason and I actually developed carpal tunnel in my hand. So I had to stop doing that. So I was working full time. I stopped. So I had a lot of time to hang out with him and yeah. he was just recently from his, back from his mission. And so I just got so much information and motivation and knowledge from him. That was a great resource for me. Other resources, obviously, the scriptures, preach my gospel, other people, other return missionaries. Um, there, there's lots of resources out there, and um, it's always good to try and find them. Yeah, and stick with them, absolutely, and rely on the, the, the Lord will provide you. you with them. That's your job right. to take them, and take advantage of. Sure. Them. All right. Well, um, that's all that I have for the interview. I appreciate you coming and and meeting with me, and appreciate you inviting me. Of course, my hope and my goal is to have my guests on the show provide the content that is going to really inspire and motivate and help future missionaries prepare and to know what it does and what it'll take for them to become a successful missionary. So for that, I, I thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matthew and I look forward to seeing you next time. Is there anything you want to hear about? Is there someone special you'd like to have featured on the show? Visit my website at makingamissionary.org and go to the Contact Me page. I'm also available on Facebook at Making a Missionary and The Real Me on Twitter at Nelson. Also remember to subscribe to, rate, and review this show. Thanks for listening. Annyeong. I'm pleased to announce that effective immediately, all <coughs> worthy and able young man who graduated from high school or its equivalent, regardless of where they live, will have the option of being recommended for missionary service beginning at the age of 18 instead of age 19. We've also given consideration to the age at which a young woman might serve. Today, I'm pleased to announce that able, worthy young women who have the desire to serve may be recommended for missionary service beginning at age 19 instead of age 21.